Joe Dirt. What's Joe Dirt? Step up to the mic. Step up to the mic. I got a backup mic right here. Put this up. So. I don't. I don't remember that. It's right at the beginning. Anyways, he's having a bad day. That's oh, okay. how the movie starts. I was gonna say. <laughs> okay. Well, we do have a replacement mic. There's no one on it today. Um, welcome back to the Day Useful Podcast. Welcome back. <laughs> Step up to the mic. Step up to the uh, mic, Father. We're not Steven. having quite that bad a day. Step up to the mic, Father Stephen. <laughs> That's uh, right. You and me both. Oh, mercy. Stepping up. Stepping up. Welcome welcome back to the basement here at St. Charles. Uh, thanks. It's good to be back. <laughs> I, when was the last time I was here? When We recorded was... here last time, right? Yeah. Okay, thought so. It's, we've, it's been a long time since we recorded anywhere else. I think we were at uh, Potawatomi Inn. Oh, last yeah. Last time you were somewhere else with Jay Steele. Yeah, Father, Father Jay Steele. Father Jay Steele. CSC. We should have him back. The, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. I would love to discuss. We can get another Flannery O'Connor in here. More. That'd be great. We talk a lot about literature on this show. That's really yeah. kind of funny. I didn't it's realize good. that until just now. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we talk about everything and anything Catholic culture, right? So, I well, mean, everything is secretly Catholicism. Well, I mean, yeah, if we're being honest with ourselves, right? But the problem is, all I'm ever. <laughs> the problem is, there's a lot of a lack of honesty in our culture. Um, but to, to be honest, I think we actually one of the first things we need to do on the order of banter is open, uh, perhaps the last Christmas gift of our season. Oh, um, yeah! This is the last day of Christmas, or is this the last day of Christmas? That no. was Epiphany on the sixth. Well, so what are we in? Real it's not ordinary time. Uh, time after Christmas or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, there used to be the whole octave of, of Epiphany. We would have been in, in the octave of Epiphany. That was well, now a long we're time just ago. floating through space. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> That's kind of a thing that happened. <laughs> so this is, these are the days after Epiphany. Anyway, this is from one of our dear friends on the uh, uh, Storytelling Breakdown podcast. No, this which is one? from Steven Stahovsky. Oh, he's real. Who's nice. also a good and venerable uh, cantor at our cathedral. I want to get his he band. and his family. And he has gotten me. <laughs> so I, I already peeked at this. I already oh, knew what I was where it was going to be. You're but, bad at this. But I already know what you're going to have too, and you're going to laugh at this. That a, is that a can of skull? What well, is that? no, no, no. It's it's um, <laughs> Catholic Catholic beard balm. Oh, uh, yeah. it's the chrism scented one, and you're going to weird. And I, I kind of forgot that he was going to do this. So when he dropped it off, I'm like, oh, are they Ninja Turtles? They are. They are Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think it's brothers a, and sisters. Behold, they're all they're they're they're, oh they're all God. there. I have more Ninja Turtles now than think, I've had. in I think at decades. this point you have nine Ninja Turtles. I have nine. There were only four. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, these are the movie edition ones from the uh, uh, the Megan Fox one. Uh, came out in when was that? Twelve? Two thousand ten? I thought she was maybe? in Transformers. And She's in a else. lot of weird stuff. Okay. Anyways, the uh, woohoo! Look at that. Now, there's that great scene where they, they beep up in the elevator, and that is the only good scene in that movie. <laughs> Anyways, Will Arnett's go. in it. Anyways, the... Uh, great. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> so, I don't know. You have hey, to take... You might either either leave them all here and just, like, have a, have a, a Warhammer game between the, the nine of them, <laughs> or uh, or take a set home or something. I don't know. Oh, I'm going to leave them all here, boss. This okay. table's going to be covered in toys oh, by the end. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. This, this table isn't that big, people. <laughs> For the greater glory of Catholicism, these Ninja Turtles must rest here. Anyways. Yeah, that sounds like... That's that really sounds cool. Great. I mean, look that out. Look. No, it's the movie one. Again, I don't like... I'm looking... <laughs> <laughs> Their legs seem a little too thin. Like these guys are like they, uh, they, they skip leg day a lot. Uh, yeah, they do skip. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because all they got to do is do squats with those shells on their back, you'd, and you'd they think, should be fine. You'd think they'd be set. Man, Raphael, look! Oh, there goes his arm. Oh, 
China. That's <laughs> all right. We can put it right back in there. There we go. Okay. Oh, Welcome to God. the Day Useful Podcast where we play with plastic turtles. No, this is no time for talking. Hang on. I got to get this tie in Raphael's arm. Oh, is that Raph? Okay. This is Raph over here. Like, he's really got a... He's more of a leg day kind of guy. <laughs> a little stouter. Yeah, a little stouter. But little no, stouter, this guy looks more, like... Looks a little more Mike McGuire. Just got more of a, kind of. of a cross-country run kind of thing done over here. Mikey, his legs looks like he just ran 25 miles. <laughs> the, uh, oh, Leo's, Leo's in decent shape. But Raph, Raph has got the quads right there. Okay. Anyways. All right, enough of that. This well, is great, though. Thank, thank you, Steven Stahovsky, for, yes. for bringing joy to my co-host. For, for 10 minutes of insane banter, and no one else listened to the rest of the podcast. Yep. It's like, oh, this is the, they're, they're serious, good Catholic priests. Just ignore the first five minutes of the show. Donatello is gaunt, man. Like, <laughs> look, they don't feed him. Uh, well, look at in comparison. Look at that. I guess, I, yeah, like, I He's know. got these little tiny arms. I, I got a big head and little arms. Honestly. Yeah. Ah, sympathy. The, the, t- the T-Rex of uh, the group there. It's more like a velociraptor. <laughs> I can't imitate a velociraptor. Yeah, that was your best, uh, was that, that Jurassic was, Park kind that, of thing going on there? That was the best I could do from Jurassic Park. I'm sorry. We'll fix that in editing. Dude, uh-uh. if you could actually put. No. <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> yeah, Not going to do that. Actual, <laughs> just the, yeah. the, the V-Raptor in there. Uh-uh-uh. You didn't say the magic word. Uh-uh-uh. Uh, uh, uh. Dude, who is that? That's not... That's the same guy who played... Samuel Jackson. What? Samuel Jackson is the computer guy, isn't he? No. Yes. Absolutely it is. No, it's not. It's, totally. the, guy, it's the guy who plays Newman from Seinfeld. No, the big that's, fat guy. that's the computer. I know the difference between Samuel <laughs> I was like, Jackson. Those are two very different people. Yeah, that guy also played Mace Windu. That guy also played, you know, <laughs> Nick Fury. That guy also played... No. No, I'm telling, you, I'm telling you, the the uh, whoever's in charge of the sure. security or the computer, who right. isn't Newman? The, the guy who gets mad at, at, at the Newman character. I can't even remember the guy. I just know him as Newman. What? Newman. Newman. Yeah, shout out to Father Craig Borchardt and Father Dennis DiBenedetto, our, our Seinfeld fans among the presbyterate of the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. Somebody's got to be. Anyway, do we want to start talking about this thing we're going to talk about today? Well, I mean, if you would like, I... There's not really any good uh, jump in from Seinfeld to... Uh, you say that, or but even you Jurassic just, Park. You just wait. I mean, like, didn't they do episodes where they like traveled? No, that, that, that plastic crinkling is going to come come across really good. They love it. They love it. Yeah. They might imagine like he's I'm still, opening candy. He's still opening turtles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. Go ahead, talk to the people about something else. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm a little distracted by your plastic. It's clear plastic. If you I live know, in but, America, but it's, it's all over the place. Well, they can't tell that it's clear. Because this is an audio-only show. I'll just have to describe it But for they them. can tell that it's plastic. I was simply commenting that you shouldn't be so easily distracted. There, it's we're, done. We're friends, it's people. It's done. I'm sure you can tell that by now. <laughs> friends. <laughs> friends. <laughs> F is for friends who do stuff together. U is for you and me. Are you? Is Thank that you, SpongeBob? Sponge That's totally SpongeBob. It's totally SpongeBob. Yes, These aren't I even real generation. Like, I mean, not like they would sell you real nunchucks, but like this toy <laughs> representation has like three... Pieces of we- unless I don't know, I'll have to go look up nunchucks. A, maybe on it's a different kind of weapon. I guess, and it spins. So they gave it to Mikey. Those are nunchucks. Th- these are yes. Okay, go ahead. So, so what are we going to talk about today, Dan? <laughs> Thank you for the lead-in. So You're okay. that's that'll be much easier jumping off. <laughs> right. So we're going to go from jumping from uh, turtles and other weird conversation Teenage right into Notre Dame de Paris. I, did, I just did my my most uh, throat and guttural. It's just French like my Velociraptor. Accent. It's fine. Yeah, 
you can edit that out and have someone actually say it. it was sure. It's French. Sure. I'll call uh, our friend Louis King and have him speak the French for me. My brothers and sisters, we would love to talk to you about, like, actual beauty and architecture today. So we, yeah. will, we shall talk about no, that's true. the great cathedral of Paris. Yeah. So Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame uh, de Paris. Go on. So the, of course, everyone knows that that was the cathedral over, it's, everyone knows what Notre Dame in Paris is. Do they? Um I'm pretty sure. They do now. It's I'm a pretty cathedral sure. in Paris. A it's, cathedral. If, if you don't know about it in the Western world, you need to like open your eyes a little bit, frankly. <laughs> Whoa, easy. I'm just going to be honest about that. <laughs> I mean, like, come on. How many of us grew up with know. the Hunchback of Notre Dame, even the, even the Disney version? Everyone got, knows what Notre Dame is. You know, is. there are grade school kids who listen to this show. That's okay. Well, but they can listen. They can open up their eyes and they can see <laughs> Notre Dame. So Look Notre up Dame Notre Dame is, of Paris, okay? It's, it's a beautiful church that was built. When course, was it built? You know? Oh, I actually don't know that. I bet you it was built... Uh, it's the high Gothic period in France. Um, is that the 1200s? No, see. it's before the 1200s. Because it's built by the time um, Thomas Aquinas... Is oh, around. yeah, that's exactly right. It's, so, it's the same era of Thomas Aquinas and right at the end of the life of St. Francis of Assisi. So it must be in the early 1200s, Notre Dame Cathedral is built in Paris. It's yeah. the seat of the... Bishop of... Of the Diocese of Paris. Of the, yeah, I presume it's an archdiocese. Uh, and, could be. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, neither do um, I. But, but anyway, so... But it's, if Anchorage it's, is an archdiocese. What's that now? I said if Anchorage is an archdiocese. <laughs> well, yeah. I bet you Paris is. Right. It has less less to do about uh, population and more to do about location. Location, location, location. That's what they say. So... Notre Dame of Paris has been the subject of so many uh, different cultural, uh, you know, pieces of, of the life of French persons. Uh, you know, <laughs> French citizens. Hello, French persons. <laughs> what are you doing in England? Mind your own business. business. Uh, thank person. you, Monty Python. So, the cathedral, obviously, it's it's um, a source of, of a big de- a big debate right now uh, in the Catholic world. What happened to um, Notre Dame in recent history? In recent history, it had a huge fire, and the entire roof, the ancient uh, timbers that held up the roof, um, were completely destroyed. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was an absolute tragedy, and we were worried for a time there that they wouldn't even be able to save the cathedral; that it would be completely a loss, and oh, yeah. and that there wouldn't be any way to preserve it. I remember um, the news. I was, oh gosh, we were on break. I mm-hmm. was up in South Bend. We were chilling at a uh, St. Pius Rectory. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, what year was that? Fifteen? It was 16? no. Let me see here. When did the ha- when did the fire happen? Um, I was a seminary. I think it was nineteen. Oh, okay. It's been it's been a couple years. So I was a deacon, and was it really nineteen? Was it that recent? Let me just see. It's been it's only been a couple years. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. April fifteenth, twenty nineteen. Okay. So we were chilling. What was that break have been? That would have been uh, probably Easter. yeah, Holy Week break. Wow, yep. that's really sad. So on on Easter, mm-hmm. holiest time of the Christian year, Notre Dame caught fire and and it looked bad. Like yeah. if you see the pictures of it, it looks like the whole thing's going up. Yeah, you think that it's lost. And you know the and but yeah. what what happened is so they they've been working on Notre Dame Cathedral. They had they had scaffolding all over the working top on the of roof. it, and that there there's speculation that you know some Parisian. Uh, um, threw, threw, threw his cigarette butt off and it landed on one of the dry, dry, dry ancient timbers <laughs> and started the fire. Or or there was an electrical short of some sort. Or some people even claim that there was a plot of like arson. Um, and there's m- maybe some reason to believe that could be true. But all that set aside, 
um, it, the roof was on fire, and we thought it was going to be gone. Yeah. They rushed in, and they got out the relics. They got out the yeah. uh, well, the Holy Eucharist. The Holy one. Eucharist, and then they got out the crown of thorns, which had been secured by Saint uh, King St. Louis, oh, okay. whatever number he was. Yeah. But so, I mean, this, this is the – that's the thing is this place is a – is a spiritual patrimony for Catholics everywhere, um, but it's also sort of an, an image of, um, uh, you know, Church the joie Universal. de vivre uh, for France or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So like it's it's a it's as much as a, as, as much of a um, uh, sort of a symbol of one's life and culture if you live in France as it is, uh, you know, the religious image of. Of the faith for for those who attend mass there and all and all the rest, um, and even for those who don't, so people who can look at it from afar and say that's our that's our home too, even if I don't live in France, right? Well, Western civilization. I mean, one of the main symbols of it is the cathedral, right? The cathedral which one generation would build, knowing that it would not see its completion, and yeah. here was all this art and science and fervor and belief and economics. All flowing in to sort of the center of the of the town because normally these things were built in basically the center of of the city or the town, right? And and it it, it goes up and it's like this is us. This is the metaphysical center of of what it means to be us. And then in the broad scope, you can say Western civilization, right? And all of our science, all of our resources, all of our joy centers into this building of brick and. Brilliant stained glass and marble and, and, and yeah and every everything we can and stone to the I mean, honor of of the infinite and so this is the thing there there are many there are many who think that like the high Gothic period in France was was the height of Catholic architecture and there, there I think there's a lot that can be said for that <laughs> because you know it doesn't sort of have the real flamboyant attitude of like the Baroque period in Italy it doesn't have sort of the really um, there, there can be a lot of egoism that gets pushed into Italian churches. You know, there's like the face of some person over there as a governor and there's a, a, you know, a cardinal over there and he's buried here. And uh, becomes, Michelangelo's enemies painted into the face of people falling into hell. Right. So, so that's the thing. Oh, is like Michelangelo. Notre Dame of Paris and, and then the, uh, the Chartres Cathedral as well. These, these places were considered like the height of Catholic architecture because they were just purely about the divine mystery mm-hmm. um, and the, the sacred mysteries, right? Yeah. And so, so here's, here's the, the rub. Um, as soon as the here's fire the gets put out and they start to realize, oh, we can save this. Oh, yeah. No, it was, a, again, miracle. We look around and yeah. it's just the roof that was basically lost. And, but the, the walls and the guts of it were basically, basically untouched, praise God. Right. So, so fortunately, we have that, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the preservation as, as a capability, as, as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens? Um, we have to consider a little bit here what's going on culturally in the Western world, because uh, there is a lot, there's a lot of secular thought that is involved. Um we have to sort of realize the cathedral in Paris is not simply owned by the church. <laughs> nope. This is something that's happening all across Western Europe. Well, this started back in the French Revolution. Right, know. exactly. So here's the thing, um, and I'm going to go ahead and lean on this one book. I'm going to get back to this book here. Later, what, what do you have? You've, he's pulled out a book, brothers so, and sisters. Brace yourself. I'm going to go ahead and recommend this book right now, but we're going to refer to it a little bit. Um, it's a recently published book called Death Comes for the Cathedrals by <laughs> Marcel Proust. Um, Marcel so, Proust is actually he's, – he's long dead. He, this, is a, 
a publication, an English translation of an article from the French uh, over 115 years ago. Oh, he's he been wrote, dead a minute. Oh, yeah. He wrote this book, or he wrote the, this article um, in 1904. Oh, okay? wow. So I was going to ask if it was a pun on death comes for the archbishop, but death comes for the archbishop might be a pun on this. It could be. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure about that particular work. Well, that's um, fine. It's whatever. Work. But, but anyway, so he... he I'll des- ask the machine. This book describes in um, uh, the introduction so where what the position is for... For the cathedral here, okay. Mm-hmm. Since the Concordat, this is what this is what the book says. Yes. Since the Concordat of July fifteenth, eighteen o one, between Napoleon the first, so Napoleon Bonaparte, um, and Pope Pius the seventh, not only had the Catholic faith enjoyed full freedom in France, but the clergy was subsidized by the government as reparation for the seizure and sale of ecclesiastical property during the revolution. The procedure by which bishops were named became a complex negotiation between the civil state and the Vatican. With input from the minister of worship, the, the state representative, hmm. the bishops, and the apostolic nuncio, this had led to some friction under the increasingly <laughs> anti-clerical Third Republic from 1870 on, which by the mid-1880s had secularized the cemeteries and hospitals, suppressed military chaplaincies and public prayer, and legalized divorce. The government was notoriously filled with with Freemasons and had set up its public school system in part to extirpate superstition, here meaning religion, from town and country. It had forbidden religious orders, Jesuits, Christian brothers, the Madames of the Sacred Heart, uh, etc., from running schools and even kicked monks and nuns out of France, manu militari, if need be. Uh, and again, it continues. So you get some of the idea of, of the situation. Um, and he continues, in May of 1904, three months after Proust's article came out, France and the Vatican had broken off diplomatic relations over the French president's state uh, visit uh, yeah, to the king of Italy. Well. Right. Well, the, so the French president visited uh, Victor Emmanuel III, whose grandfather had taken Rome from the papacy. Right. So, so there's all sorts of politi- politics going on underneath here. But we start to see um, how, how there's a... Uh, increasingly anti-clerical um, bent bent happening out of the Third Republic in France. And so Proust writes this article in response to uh, some of these problems. But we'll, let's let's continue thinking about Notre Dame uh, de Paris um, in, in the current state. So what happens immediately after the fire? There, there are there, – there's, there's a realization, okay, we can save this place. Let's start thinking about how to do that. Right. And there were any number of different architects who came up with their designs. And it doesn't take much Google searching to, to find the concept drawings uh, for some of these ideas. <laughs> it's where the spaceships land. I mean, <laughs> it is just bizarre. And we're, we're just to tell the aliens, we're just like you. <laughs> well, I mean, everything from having like an Olympic-sized swimming pool put into the the space yeah, that of the was, roof. That was nuts. Or like, you know, something that looks like um An- one one of the one of the big like subway stations in New York with like all the spikes and spires of like in white right. or whatever. Near mm-hmm. I think that one's near um uh ground zero for the World Trade Center. Yeah. It looks it looked very similar to that. There was one that just simply made it a complete flat top with a s with like a, a light uh, spire, you know, like a spotlight kind of thing yeah. up into the sky. Um, I don't know what you might call that. Well, kind of like the bat cheap. symbol. You call it cheap. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Why should we actually invest in material when we could just shine a light in the sky? Right. Well, it would shoot up right from where the spire was. So, like, they're trying to do all these things that are real, you know, modern. Um, right. And there was a lot of public outcry that said, no, don't do that. You're, you're just absolutely, you know, 
you're you're messing with anything of our cultural well, heritage. Please, God, stop! You'll kill us all. Oh, right, exactly. Unfortunately, well, so here's the thing, right? So you're you're dealing with not only the secular authority but also with the church, and. Well, see, like, technically, like, Notre Dame is owned by the state. Right. And they defer to the church for, like, authorization and stuff in it. But, like, this is the the problem was, was like, on on the quote-unquote plus side, uh, you don't have to worry about financing or taking care of this beautiful ancient piece of property. Sure. And that's a huge weight off of your back about, like, what you are concerned about maintaining. Right. Because otherwise, that's one more thing on your plate as the churches. How do I maintain the structure? Right. It used to be possible, right? Because guess what everyone in France was way back in the day when this thing was built? A tithing Catholic? Right. <laughs> now, they're, they're, they're largely a secularist nation who mm-hmm. only likes things because they look pretty and only from the perspective of, I don't know, some sort of... Uh, narcissism maybe whoa, whoa. or or even <laughs> or even a you know just simply looking at their own culture and seeing like well, everybody oh, this is likes, something of my everybody, culture but please god i would say everybody likes uh the capitol building there's something beautiful about the capitol building or or the washington monument they are these but no one knows these, why well very few people we're, we're really starting know why. to lose that why yeah. like it it boils down to there's something beautiful in symmetry and there is something you can take pride in as your nation. Like, that's yeah. the symbol of the nation kind of thing. But that's starting to really, really fade, even over here. So, I mean, like, the idea of, like, a, a narcissistic pleasure in it, it's just a symbol of power right. at this point or, or a symbol of, of grandeur. Yeah. And I no longer understand even why or where that originates from. Mm-hmm. So, again. And, and I think this is... Um... This leans into uh, the hmm. increasing subjectivity at the expense of objectivity in in Western thought. Oh yeah, um, everything's about what I like and what I think is true, instead of that's what, your truth, man. Right. Instead of what is true and my assent to the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to a greater knowledge and understanding of it. So Anyways, the state was showing us all these pictures and was asking people to submit them, and, and people and, who have like a love of the not just. The, the grandeur of what this of, – of just something grand, yeah. but, but for like the sake of what it was and should be, like mm-hmm. its, its heritage point, were starting to panic when they were seeing, you know, yeah. the space dome added to the top of <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> the cathedral. It's true. So, so fortunately, there was enough public outcry to keep them from doing all of the exterior uh, ridiculousness um, <laughs> that they were planning on doing or that they had – that had been proposed. Right, that right? had been proposed. So anyway, that gets that gets all changed, and everyone is like, okay, we're going to build the roof back exactly the way it was. And everybody breathes a huge sigh of relief. And it was actually really, really hopeful for a while there um, that it was, it's like, well, you know, we, we can't – the source of those, like, huge oak trees is no longer in existence. Oh, but we found a good alternative. and And so we – I don't know. There was a, there was a lot of time of looking at uh, and, and enjoying the process by which they were finding all of the resources they needed to to um, you know bring in masters in medieval ar- architecture. You've and been like, really following this. Yeah, it's it has been sort of a beautiful thing. Cool. Until recently. <laughs> and then last week. <laughs> well, so that's the thing. With, within the past couple of weeks, you hear about this second secular attempt and actually it seems like a success to mess with the interior 
of the cathedral. Go on. So here's what's going on. There has been a a priest, and this is what's sort of the most tragic about it, is that it's a priest who's involved. Um, there, there's been a priest. I think his name is uh, Father Gilles um, uh, Drouin. Father Gilles Drouin. All right. Okay. Go on. Father Gilles, uh, he is like the head of the, the liturgical institute in Paris. That's something like that in, in Paris. And he was um, brought on by the bishop who was there at the time to work on the interior of the cathedral. And mm-hmm. there... Their thought was uh, uh, there's all sorts of of crazy things that they sort of decided to do. Of course, that's my opinion, but (laughs) I think I have a pretty well-founded opinion on this. All right. So like – so there was a grand reveal or something? What happened? Well, sort of. So there was something that's been – and again, they have to work with the secular authority – uh, you know the, the the French government, as well as somebody has to approve this, right. And say this is what we're going to go with, right? Yeah. So this guy, this priest, this guy, this guy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> was that, was that so meant to be? That's Boondock Saints. Okay. <laughs> he looked like he'd been serial crushed by some huge freaking guy. <laughs> <laughs> go go on, this guy. Anyway. This particular priest, you know, <laughs> he basically unilaterally decides what's going to happen in the cathedral, okay? Okay, he's got that much power he's wielding. Right. So here are some of the ideas that have been apparently approved in recent days. Okay. They're going to do things like change the – some of these things are just sort of whatever. They're just how they're going to go about it. Um they're going to bring the lighting down to like normal head level. So like basically like eight, think of like an eight foot ceiling. Yeah. They're going to bring the lighting down that low. Um, even though the, the, um, the arched, uh, nave is, you know, some 60 feet up or something like that. Oh, right. Wow. So yeah. Right. So you're not illuminating the, the height of the Gothic cathedral. You're just illuminating just enough down low Really bizarre. Why? Yeah. Why would you do that? Because they're trying to make this thing into more or less a kind of a museum. Go on. So, so here's what's here's what's next. They want to do like what they call a light path. Thinking like a, think like when you go to a museum, how you're kind of routed yeah. through a, an exhibit. Right. right. So they're trying to do that kind of a thing. Huh. And have uh, like scripture verses projected on the walls. In different languages. And their thought is we have tourists who come to Notre Dame Cathedral from all over the world and we want to be able to show them words in their language. Okay. Including like Chinese. <laughs> anyway. I'm which, sorry. Go on. No, there's nothing wrong. Okay. I'm not laughing about like the Chinese languages. I'm not opposed to scriptures written in Chinese. I'll tell you why I laughed later. Go on. Yeah, because that <laughs> on. is ridiculous, right? <laughs> so uh, also they're going to take – there's all these side chapels in this big cathedral, right? And and because the practice had been for high, you know, hundreds of years that a priest would always say his own mass, so you would have uh, you'd have lots of altars in these big cathedrals yeah. for them for all the priests who were in the care of the cathedral uh, to say their masses yeah, at different d- side visiting altars. Visiting priests and stuff on pilgrimage. I mean, it, it served it has served the church well these mm-hmm. many millennia to have those side altars. Right, and you go to visit St. Peter's Basilica and you see all the side altars there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. They uh, want to sort of rededicate some of these side chapels to things like the environment and to particular countries. Like this is the Africa. <laughs> to a particular country. Like, well, or, well countries, continent. countries or continents. So like mm-hmm. this is the Africa chapel and it's, this is the Chinese chapel. Huh. This is the chapel for the environment. <laughs> and it's like, I thought it was the chapel of Our Lady. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> this used to be for St. Joseph. Well, the- but, but worse than that, they're even considering the removal or displacement of the altars in these chapels. Oh, so they're just going to be big empty rooms with floating Kinda. words on the screen. Well, really, but like really with a bizarre juxtap- juxtaposition here of like they're going to keep the stained glass, they're going to keep the Gothic-styled architecture within the chapel, okay. but they're going to just put these things in place. Another unfortunate thing, they're only going to leave four confessionals in the main church. But do we know how many they have right now or how many they used to have? I don't remember exactly the number. Are we talking but, dozens more but or less? But they're, they're removing – they're removing the majority of the confessionals from the from the main level of the cathedral, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like okay. So mm-hmm. those things were there for a reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> which just goes to show you know what the point of confession. Well, this is an interesting thing again, and I don't mean to. And we will continue on with our our tour of madness in just one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah. I mean, I obviously have a bias about this, right? So, well, I have a bias about this. I'm a Catholic priest. I know. I understand. <laughs> But I That's think, my job. I think some people might hear us talking about it in this way and think, well, these guys are just, you know, only biased in their one direction and they're not open to, they're not having an open mind. It's a Catholic church. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's a Catholic church. Right. From a Catholic priest. Exactly right. It like, should be. Like, you know. Like, it speaks to, like, the absolute devastation. Say what you will about the building. Yeah. The, building the, the building is beautiful. Right. But... But it speaks to the devastation of the soul yeah. that has occurred there. There is no sense of guilt and no sense of a need for mercy. And that has already been carried out. This building this building was disfigured long before the flames licked at the roof. Oh, yes. And I'm the, glad you said that. <laughs> and yeah. it, because, because without the lifeblood that is the human person going through it to worship it, it's just dead wood and stone. And thank God for the heat that came from that fire, because it wasn't coming from the spirit of man being brought closer to God in there. Preach. Anyways. <laughs> You're getting ahead of us, though. Sorry. So, well, no, but like, but see, there it is. I can tell you the mind of that. God yeah. bless this priest. I, I, yeah. I can tell you his mindset. It was, we weren't using them, so why bring them back? Yep. That was his mindset. Or even on top of it, where would I get the priests to staff them? Right. Go on. Yep. So another thing that they're doing is they're housing and displaying uh, contemporary art alongside the medieval um, art and architecture. (laughs) Right. Why would they do that? Well, because actually Paris, um, Notre Dame de Paris, has been doing that for a long time. So they're going to continue that. They're going to keep bringing in these these modern artists. Why would they do that? Like, again, like, that's that's a darn good question. You look at the two together and you can't help but miss the the lack of, of quality and soul. Yep. That this is my piece, and this is something a master made. Right. <laughs> you see how how inferior I am to that. Right. Why would you even do that? Why would you do that to yourself? Right. It's like well, entering I mean, it's... yourself into a weightlifting contest if you've never picked up a set of dumbbells once in your life. Yeah, I think in the end, it's it's a it's a bit of unrealized self hatred. <laughs> to, to do that to yourself, right? Yeah, no, it'd be like, I'm allowed to stand on stage here next to Arnold, and <laughs> I, you know, I looked at a set of weights yesterday. <laughs> I'm good to go for Mr. Universe. Okay. And, no, that's what it is. You're like, right. and, and I'm allowed to be here. Man, and, I thought I was going to be on fire about this no, topic. No, brother, I, I look, I, I, God doesn't make a single person because he hates yeah. them. But right. man alive, are all our wounds self-inflicted? Yeah. <laughs> like, man, yeah, this doesn't true. bode well. I'm cutting off your nose to spite your face kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's like, I have this 
my dad gave me this beautiful thing and I'm not worthy of it. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take a crayon and just, <laughs> mark all and over mark it. Yeah. all over it and say, so, this is mine. This gets to the next point. So I want to, I want to go ahead and keep moving forward. Sorry. I, again, I just wanted to die on the, on the confessional real quick. Go on. Yeah. I understand about that. Um, so I think it's important to to look into other smart people's uh, talking about this. Because, <laughs> okay. man, did you illustrate why we needed that just yeah, now with exactly that sentence? with that sentence. <laughs> what do, I, was what others, of, I was saying that sort of in jest. What do other smart people think about this topic, right. Dan? So, like I say, it, it's worth looking into arguments that are sound. Duh. Um, yes. Go on. So there is a uh, a Catholic in in Canada who's got a, a YouTube channel that I really recommend for most people to listen to. He's very refreshing because he's not he's not about simply screaming his bias like they do on the Davis Well podcast. Yes, um, he, ah, he he really God wills it. <laughs> exactly, God wills it. Just yeah. <laughs> end of end of conversation. <laughs> Cut the podcast off right here, Dan. <laughs> God wills it. God wills it. Uh, Play the exit music. <laughs> exactly. That's it. See you, folks. <laughs> no. Um. No, so so Mr. Brian Holdsworth uh, does a great job of um, laying out arguments for uh, the sake of the good, for mm-hmm. the sake of the beautiful, right? And he's a good Catholic man. Um, he's a convert, actually. He became Catholic uh, of his own accord and is is very, very good at defending the good things of Catholic life and culture, which I hope we would also be that way. Would you call him an apologist? Podcast. Christian apologist? I think so. Okay. I think so, but not not along the same sort of lines as someone like a Patrick Madrid or, you know, the other sort of Catholic answer Z kind yeah, of people. Yeah, sure, sure, you know, sure. Sure. It's it's a little bit different than that. Mm-hmm. He he really does lean into a lot of um uh, philosophy, maybe in a different way than some of those other characters, characters, uh, uh, you know, character. ap- apologists. Well, uh, they're characters. Sherlock Holmes is a character. He sure is. <laughs> Father Stephen Felicia is a character. Yeah, he is. Anyway. Anyways. So <laughs> as soon as all of this stuff about the interior of the cathedral came out, mm-hmm. Mr. Holdsworth put together a, a, a bit of an argument about the, the problem that causes that kind of a decision to be made. Why okay. we should be stopping that as soon as possible. Well, yeah, basically, he gets to that. So he begins with this. He It, it was at Christmas time, so he sort of began with, this is the time of year when a lot of Christians start to talk about the problem of what the secular world is doing to the way um, we talk about Christmas. And so he says, you know, a lot of the secular culture will say you can't say Merry Christmas to non-Christians because, you know, that's not nice or something. There was actually an interesting article in First Things about a Muslim who's like, please say Merry Christmas to me. He's like, this is the time when Christ was born. Yeah. Anyways, go on. Right. Which actually, I mean, that just shows our um, inability to study well because they actually hold Christ in high regard. Right. Uh, So it's kind of an interesting problem. The real quick story. Sidebar. Sidebar. But the... I don't know if we said already I went caroling on this yeah. show or not. Oh, okay. I think you might have. Yeah, last okay. Episode. We went caroling, and there was we were going house to house, and a guy was actually getting ready to leave, and he saw us coming again, and he went back in his house and he waited for us. And I, oh. I, this only semi registered. We knocked on his door, and him and his wife came to the door. His wife was wearing a hijab. Oh, she wow. was almost certainly Muslim. At least his wife was. Right, and probably him. I don't know. And they had come back into the house to wait. For us to come sing Christmas carols to them. And then we went on our way and they got in their car and drove off. 
But wow. but like don't don't tell me it's it's horrifically offensive to somebody to wish them Merry Christmas. I mean, it should fill you with such joy. Again, to express that to them, it means no offense. It's it's nothing mm-hmm. but an attempt to pass on your joy at the fact that Jesus Christ, God made man, was born, right. and and I want nothing but good for you too, brother or sister, whom I'm encountering, and. And again, and, and nothing by it. If and if somebody wished me happy Hanukkah, I wouldn't be like, ah, oh, get out of my face. You know, just, right. You know, get out, get out. Ah, back you, demon. Or, you know, I, I mean, solemn Ramadan or whatever you wish a person on Ramadan. <laughs> the, uh, sure. I, I, but that's not even in the Christmas. Whatever it is. The point is this. Like, it's your holiday. It's your holy day. Mm-hmm. And like, so communicate that. You're mm-hmm. not communicating to me anything satanic or negative. Right. So anyways, well, go so on. Don't, don't become, that's the end of my sidebar. Don't become schizophrenic about your own identity. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. So to, to deny that is to say that you don't like yourself. Yeah, uh, that's that's a problem. <laughs> you should, yeah, no. Normally, you, people go see counselors and therapists for stuff like just that. Just gonna say that. Right. So, so here's the thing: that that argument of you can't say Merry Christmas to non Christians, it's not nice. Christians might respond by, "Well, this is a persecution." Like people who actually do want to say Merry Christmas to people out of this out of this regard for their own life of faith will say that's it's a bit of a persecution from, on the part of the secular culture on against me as a Christian, and others will respond to that by saying. That's not a real persecution because you're not getting martyred. You should really look into how the martyrs died because those people were really persecuted, you know? First of all, see our podcast on martyrology, but then, come on. Right, exactly. So, like, the martyrs certainly were persecuted. But that's that's not to say that there aren't other ways of becoming a victim of persecution. So, the, the I really love the... Uh, the juxtaposed description that Holdsworth gives. He says, that's like saying that you have a break-in in your, at your house, and so you call the police, only to have them tell you that, hey, there are people being murdered out there, so stop bothering us with your house break-in, right? That's absurd. Poor baby, did you die? <laughs> right, exactly. You're, no, I, right. I got robbed, but did you die? <laughs> but you're the cops. Like, you're the police. You're supposed to help me, but right? But did you die? So, but that's, that's why it's, it's obviously ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so this is the thing, like there is a subtle animosity towards Christians right now. It's not an outright martyrdom situation. We're not, you know, getting crucified at the, at the Colosseum. Uh, you know, there's, there are other... There are plenty of people crucified in Iraq, to be fair. Well, right. But, okay, fine. Know. But in the Western world, it's not sure. really happening that way because no. we're all about supposed tolerance. But here's the thing, and we've seen some of this stuff, as soon as the kettle starts to boil... And, and things start to become stressful for our society, um, that subtle animosity towards Christians, or anyone for that matter, uh, can go really wrong really fast. Yeah, it can. And people do get killed. Yep. I mean, how many how many different news stories have we heard this year about people getting killed in all these altercations that are going on? Well, it's, it's a sign of the times. The madness yeah. that has begun to infect our society is is really raging at this point without any way to alleviate it. Right. There's always this quest for the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And anyone oh, yeah. anyone will do just so long as it's not me. Some Again, to return to it, like I have to cut off my nose to spite my face kind of thing. There are really only two camps, brothers and sisters. I probably said this before on the Days of All podcast. I preach it all the time. There's only two camps. There's good and evil. Mm-hmm. And there is no third direction. Right. <laughs> like, you're heading towards one or the other. <laughs> and, right. 
Yeah. Let's get an example from the saints. So um, at the time of St. Thomas Beckett, one of my, uh, I love Beckett. Thomas Beckett. Um, Henry II gets to a point in all of his arguments between him and St. Thomas where he says sort of under his breath, sort of not really meaning it, but kind of meaning it, you know, will no one rid me, uh, rid me of this troublesome priest, this meddlesome priest. Mm-hmm. And his, like his kingsmen, his guards say, Yeah, all right. I'll do it. Yeah. Gladly. And they go find Beckett and they kill him in saying mass in the cathedral. He's British, by the way. This isn't Notre Dame. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is right. Okay. This is the, you know, this is Canterbury. But, but, yeah, yeah. Canterbury. Canterbury. So, but like that's an example of it being a, a subtle, you know, animosity towards the true faith. Well, are you going to talk about the churches being burned in Canada? Well, I mean, that would be an, that would be the example I mean, that Holdsworth gives. Immediately following yeah. that, it, there was an immediate outburst of horrific, horrific rage at the possibility that there had been a, a mass grave of children uh, that had somehow been connected to the Catholic Church, to, right. a, to a private school program. Yeah. And, and rightly so, if that was true. And again, no, nobody's—but here's the thing. Nobody's sure if it's true or not, because the people who claim to have this mass grave— won't let anyone examine it. So there's no hard evidence of whatever this thing actually is. And what immediately followed was, didn't matter. The people burned 68 churches in Canada. Well, they either burned, they either was, it was either cases of arson or other, other forms of... Uh, defacement, destruction. Defacement, destruction of property. Right. For 68... 60, 68, 68 churches. churches. Like, what on earth? What on God's earth? Now, right. imagine if that had been a synagogue. Right, which is what Holdsworth says. Right. Imagine and, it had been a synagogue or a, mosque. a mosque. There would have been public outrage. Right, and that's know? just one. Imagine if they had burned 68 synagogues. Right. And and again, horrific. Right. I would be up in arms. Right. I'm up in arms about this, too. Like, it's like, hold on a sec. You guys did what now because of Why? It yeah. really, again, speaks to the sickness mm-hmm. that is infecting Western civilization right, right now. And, and so, so here's the thing, right? He, Holdsworth is putting forward this argument to say like, look, yeah, we don't want to do this to I- I- minority groups, but we don't want to do it to anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, he, and he says like, look, just f- simply from stats, Christians of any variety – are the most persecuted group in the world. Mm-hmm. They are. They are. <laughs> they are the most persecuted group in the world. And we we kind of just take it. Yeah. You know? So there's a double standard that's been that's been put by secular society that that justifies being wary of Christians. Right. It justifies it. Because we there isn't public outrage about sixty eight churches being defaced or burned in Canada. Yeah. Like there, there isn't well, see, you know, like the same is, reaction. It's the weird sort of thing because it's a it's a post Christian society, right? Um, like people are more like, well, that's my property. And again, how oh, this goes back to the dad and the crayon analogy. That's my property, so I can do with it what I want. Right. It's my culture, so I can I can savage it all day long, kind of thing. So, There's so that that's, aspect to it, right? So that's what that's what the secular culture has done. It's even convinced Catholics and Christians of this particular reality that we are not worth showing our own identity in mm-hmm. the world. That's what it's convinced us of. It's actually, I mean, we've been gaslit by the world, <laughs> like to the point of making us think that our our Catholic culture isn't worth. Push, defending, defending, or, or promoting. promoting, right? Yeah. So, 
So, so here's the thing. Uh, Holdsworth kind of ends the argument by ends his argument by saying, you know, hence we have an onset of this practical atheism mm-hmm. and and cultural relativism mm-hmm. um, as a result of all this. Secularism is intolerant of anything else. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting problem. The secularism is is seemingly such a promoter of tolerance of everything, but the one thing that it doesn't do is tolerate anything that's not itself. Well, right. So, okay. Um, and he says, Jesus didn't tell us to hide our faith and therefore our culture or identity of our faith um, for the sake of the comfort of, you know, whoever may well, come across not, us. It's not even you know? comfort. Again, I return to it. I well, make no one comfortable by hiding my Christianity. Right. I, I allow them to – if I believe, and I do, that Christianity is the one true faith and I literally worship truth and I do, mm-hmm. then if that's objectively speaking true, I am hurting people by not giving them the truth. Right. I am, I'm legitimately hiding something that is good from them, and that will not benefit them by definition. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it's not comfort. It's, it's who knows what it is. It's like, well, I don't know, hair of the dog kind of thing. Like, I, I've eaten a bunch of candy and I'm sick, so I'll eat some more candy to make mm. myself feel better because I feel better as I'm eating the candy. Well, stop it. You're killing yourself. Right. But Candy. But Liver killing candy. Liver killing, killing candy. Yes, because yeah. that's a thing that could exist. Anyways, but it it's- It does exist in liquid form. In liquid form. It's possible. But the- <laughs> But no, like there it is. I mean, let's get back to, to our blessed Notre Dame. It's, right. The situation with Notre Dame is- it's, this is this is an old problem now, right? This has been around for at least hundred years, you know. Considering, no, oh, go back to the French Revolution. What did they sure, do? What sure. did they do to that? They turned it into the um, to the like the Chapel of Reason or something yep. like that, and they put a mm-hmm. prostitute on stage and called her Lady Wisdom and let her sit in the bishop's chair. Yeah, like this is nothing new in a manner right, of speaking. And right. the showing of because, as I said, the devil's not not very creative, but like. I no, laugh. He uses the same tactics over and over again through history to try to get us to, <laughs> you know, to get us to fall to it one more time. And, and the, the worst thing about it is a lot of people do, you know, well, a lot of people do fall to it. It's these, it's these, like, let's put the words of the scripture up in everybody's language on the walls and have them floating around, and that'll show that the church is universal. Okay, look, we used to do this thing where we had, like, stained glass. Yep. And, like, you know what's universal? Pictures. <laughs> Pictures are universal. I know who that is. That's Jesus. I know what that scene is. It's the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. That's universal. That speaks to people far more readily than, oh, yeah, no, that kind of looks like Hindu. And I I speak Hindu, and that, oh, it's gone now. And I don't know what that language is. And and then the same thing can be said. And and this is one of the arguments that gets made here. So so I'm going to go ahead and get into the the book recommendation for today because this is. This show brought to you by the letter S. What? I don't know. Uh, yes? Sesame Street. Oh, Anyways. Sesame Street. Okay, thank you, Sesame Street. Right. Um, death, for, death Comes for the Cathedrals. The main article, the main um, meat of the book is by Marcel Proust. It's this article that he wrote in defense of the the upkeep of the cathedrals for what they were used for. Mm-hmm. Here's Religious what's happening. Worship. Here's what's happening, right? So in, in this time of the Third Republic, they're starting to consider what to do with the property that had been the churches because it's now in the hands of the government and they're thinking of basically making it making no use of it or just you know it's like taking a piano and saying let's not play music on it let's crack walnuts with it (laughs) and you you put the walnut under the lid and 
There we go, bro. Stop it. You're damaging the wood, and that's not what the piano's for. No, we use it to crack nuts. Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. That's that's a good analogy. Father Thank Steven. you. You're welcome. Y- yeah. Mm, stay useful. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, <laughs> so here's the thing. We have Proust. Now, what's really interesting about Proust is he. I think he has a certain level of credibility because he's not a Christian. Drop my nunchucks. He's not? He's He's not really a believer. Go on. He might have grown up with it, but he doesn't. He doesn't actually practice the faith, which is sort of an interesting thing about him because he's defending. I had no idea. Surprise he, ending. It's it is an interesting thing about him because all of his arguments are about the use of the cathedrals for what they were made for. Go on. And he says, you know, to have them simply be an artistic you know, a, a museum of former French culture from, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Wow, this guy like, called it. Yeah, he, he says they need, they would completely lose their their life and the reason for their existence without, guess what, the sacred liturgy being being performed or carried out sure, in, as he would say. Within, sure. within the life of that place. And he, he draws a um, an interesting hypothetical here. He says, this is the very beginning of his article. He says, suppose for a moment that Catholicism had been dead for centuries, okay. that the traditions of its worship had been lost, only the unspeaking and forlorn cathedrals remain. They have become unintelligible, yet remain admirable. Then suppose that one day scholars manage, on the basis of documentary evidence, to reconstitute the ceremonies that, had used, that used to be celebrated in them, for which men had built them, which were their proper meaning in life, and without which they were now no more than a dead letter. And suppose that for one hour, artists, beguiled by the dream of briefly giving life back to those great and now silent vessels, the cathedrals, wished to restore the mysterious drama that once took place there amid chants and scents, uh, S-C-E-N-T-S, incense, right? I, I, I know what you meant. So in, in a word, in a word uh, that they were undertaking to do what the Felibre uh, have have done for ancient tragedies in the theater of Orange. So basically he's saying like, imagine Catholicism is dead and gone, but the cathedrals are still standing there and some people are starting to bring back the ancient rituals of the church and do them in the cathedral as a sort of play. Mm-hmm. He says, he compares it to like these actors at the theater of Orange right. um, uh, doing old plays. Sure. Things that would have been in like the Greek amphitheaters and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So People do that all the time in Greek amphitheaters too. Right. So that's the thing is they, they reconstitute these things which make much more sense within ancient Greek culture, but the ancient Greek culture is gone. Right. So what's so, Proust's point? So Proust is saying like – Proust. Excuse me. Yeah. So he's basically saying that like because it's only a play – the lifeblood that makes the cathedral what it is is still gone. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing you can do at that point to really make it what it is. Mm-hmm. And so if we if we do that to ourselves, that's our fault. If we remove worship from this sacred space, from this from this you know masterpiece of of architecture, that's that's self-inflicted wound. Proust, Proust is know. basically making the point that there's a, a metaphysical reality that must be lived yeah. for it to have for there actually to be anything of real worth right which is very fascinating because again i'm not saying he's a materialist it would all seem to imply that he's not mm-hmm. but but if you say he's not christian he's i would love to actually know more about the man himself yeah sounds very complicated uh, well he and he probably is but it's interesting that that he is still the person who's making this point well he's noticed what truth is and he hasn't run away from it right and you know that maybe maybe i don't know 
the rest of his life. Maybe at the end of his life, he did have a conversion or something. But mm-hmm. but anyway, I want to read another portion of it because I think this gets to some of what we were talking about. Yeah. He says, I am well aware that Ruskin, uh, it's another, another authority, oh, um, when he was demonstrating what spiritual reasons explained the arrangement of chapels and cathedral apses, declared, never will you be able to delight in architectural forms unless you are in sympathy with the thinking from which they arose. In other words, he's quoting this person, Ruskin, saying, who, who says, like, if you don't know the reason for which these architectural things were built, then you'll never be able to understand, you know, what they're there for. Right. And he, he continues, though. He says, still, we all know the ignorant man, the simple dreamer, who walks into a cathedral without any effort at understanding, mm-hmm. yet is overwhelmed by his emotions and receives an impression, which, though perhaps less precise, is certainly just as strong. This is all to say that liturgical art, true liturgical art of, of Catholic patrimony, speaks to man's soul. Like it does, it has a natural capability of confessing the truth into the human heart. Right. Um, and and there, that's the reason, that's, that is the reason why it was built. Right. Because it's, it's meant to be the home of the sacred liturgy. It's meant to be the home of uh, all that is true, good, and beautiful of this life of faith that we have. Right. So it's, it's a helpmate to that. Um, and so that's, that's where he comes from with this. There, there is an afterword. Uh, um, as in, as in, like the later portion of the book, uh, by Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. <laughs> Dr. Peter Kwasniewski has is a bit of a um, somewhat outspoken at this point, but uh, is a bit of a master of understanding the history behind um, the liturgical practices of the church and all the things that have happened in recent days. And and so he he writes his own account of first walking into the cathedral at Chartres in mm-hmm. in, in France. So not Notre Dame de Paris, but uh, but Chartres Cathedral. And and he's talking about how um, yes, yeah, the the latter half of this book, how it absolutely swept him off of his feet. Mm, very cool. And he came to that that greater realization that no, this this thing is communicating heaven to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no way to understand it apart from that. And I think this is really something that is um, tough for Americans to get at because we don't have anything at all like Shark Cathedral to go to. There isn't anything like Shark Cathedral here in the United States that you could possibly have the same experience in. There are things that that obviously revolve around it to some degree. Sure. But yes, no, you're correct. Sure. I mean, you could go to Sacred Heart Basilica at Notre Dame. Right. You could go to um, the, oh, the, the, the big... Trinity what's... Church on Wall Street, which is Episcopalian. Sure. Um, I mean, or or even, again, I return to the Capitol building. Sure. Uh, you look up into the rotunda, and you're it's actually kind of a wowing experience. Yeah. So these things sort of mimic it or, or have obviously... Our our spiritual descendants, we could say, sure, but possibly the, even if weak ones, right? Um, but I think I think it would be important to say that that places like Chart Cathedral and Notre oh, Dame, oh no, there's nothing Perry, like it. I, there I've, are nothing like it. I've never walked into say um, St. Peter's uh, in Rome, but I hear that there's just absolutely not. You're like wowzer, yeah. Like there isn't anything like these right, pieces these of Catholic cathedrals. patrimony. Mm-hmm. So okay. 
Let's get back down to Notre Dame de Paris. <laughs> we always keep it. Sidebar well, over. Back to Notre well, Dame. Well, I think it's important to sort of to go away and come back, right? It's a little bit of an exitus ready to. So, uh, <laughs> um, so you have you have an excuse that's made for some of these bad ideas. I, I'm calling them bad ideas. Well, that's what they are. We have a <laughs> whole podcast bad on bad, bad ideas, ideas, a whole episode. Well, this is this is one of the fruits of those bad ideas, right? <laughs> um, the excuse made for those bad ideas is, oh, it's evangelization. Okay, this would seem to say that the cathedral's original design is faulty at doing that work. Mm-hmm. That is blatantly false. Right. The liturgical art speaks to man's soul, as I have said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the conclusion of this needs to be that Catholics need to not be afraid to be Catholic. We need to fight against that subtle onset of the secular culture, which is overriding our own culture. Well, there's nothing subtle about it anymore. Well, I know it's pretty overt, right. but the problem is so many people have been lulled into the secular culture to such a degree that like, yeah, that's fine. And we have seen this, and I, and I said this is a challenge for Americans especially, because you look at around, around all the churches, especially the ones that were built in the 60s and 70s, and it doesn't take much to realize these places are not Shark Cathedral. Oh, imagine, imagine a thousand years from now, archaeologists are going through, and they easily mistake your church for one of those pizza huts that they've recently <laughs> discovered. Now, this is a larger pizza hut. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. because the design looks just like it. Sure. So I want to I wanna land on one final topic. Because, and we're coming close to an hour, so we got to oh, wrap yeah. it up a little bit. But there, there is another sort of idea that's floating out there uh, talking about these problems called the other modern. So <laughs> Go on. The, the main modern that most people will think of is sort of the tasteless, banal, mm-hmm. bland kind of forms of architecture and art, uh, formlessness. You You've know, got angles going off at funny different <laughs> degrees and stuff. Is and... that a plane wreck or is it modern art? Yeah. You know, it's it's okay. Um that's that's one form of modernity. Uh-huh. There are other kinds of modern art that still communicate the beautiful, um, that that do that are very clearly of a different school from the ridiculous. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, know, you find it all the time these right. days. Thank God. Yeah. So, um, you know, we we were talking about Jay Steele. Uh, so Flannery O'Connor, like yeah. she's a modern uh a modern writer. She's right. a modern art author. Mm-hmm. Um, modern literature. She, but that's that's an example of the other modern mm-hmm. because it still communicates truth. It's still beautiful, even if it's a little bit bizarre. Um, I, I think that there's something to be said for that. It's very clearly not just, it's not a Virginia Woolf novel. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's not a just sort of formless, vapid, you know, wasteland. It's, mm-hmm. it's got a purpose mm-hmm. and it's communicating beauty. So the same thing would be, would be true of there are, there are certain things um, certain modern designs that are not are not themselves the best form, but but don't fail at communicating the truth. Right. So so here here I am. I'm in the parochial vicar at St. Charles in Fort Wayne, and we're in the middle of we've just begun rather uh, to renovate our church. Yeah, yeah righteous. And um, it's going to be an absolute uh, an absolute facelift. <laughs> Praise God, and, and a much needed one. You know. Um, 
instead of carpet, we'll have terrazzo floor. Mm. Instead of carpet in the sanctuary, there'll be marble steps. Nice. You know, sanctus, sanctus, um, sanctus. instead of like uh, sort of the the dated style of wood paneled, you know, something around the altar, it's going to be a nice marble altar. Oh, wow. Um, the tabernacle, which was once nearly invisible from the church, uh, will actually be visible in the church. You'll be able to see the center of our community, the center of our of our uh, life of prayer um, at the parish. Uh, you know, instead of wood slats in the back of the sanctuary area, you'll have um, a marble backdrop within a certain kind of a very clearly ecclesiastical pattern. I can't wait to see it. I mean, it's going to be, there, be there are so many things that are really very good about this. It's going to be beautiful. Um, but as as a bit of a critique, and I don't mean this to be an affront to anybody who's, no, brother, who's talk. lived their life of faith at St. Charles, mm-hmm. um, that's not at all what the point is. There's still something notably different architecturally about our building. Than, say, Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the Gothic style of, of art and architecture really does get at that transcendent uh, side of our faith. So some, some people might walk into something, a, a, a pragmatist or a... Um, I don't know, a communist <laughs> might, <laughs> might walk into, well, they might walk into Shark Cathedral or Notre Dame and they might look up into the great vault of the mm-hmm. apse or in the nave and, mm-hmm. and see, see that space as completely wasted because you can't use it because yeah. it's just big and open and empty and it's way the heck up there. Think of all the guns you could have put up there. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the communist or is it the pragmatist? Uh, it could be both. It could be Anyways. Both. Okay. So like, <laughs> they might see it as a big waste of space and resources, and it's just useless. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Or <laughs> you could see it as pointing directly to the heavens. You could see it as, you know, being a testament to our desire to go up and in, in, to ascend into the heavens, to mm-hmm. be with the Lord forever, mm-hmm. right? All the images that Gothic architecture inspires. Um, let's juxtapose that to certain churches in in the modern world. Um, and I'm not using this in the sense of the other modern. I'm using this in the sense of modern because, right. uh, well, frankly, uh, and believe me, there are great things about these parishes, but St. Jude's, St. Charles here in town, they're all very flat. Yes, they are. They kind of take that Gothic sweeping up into heaven uh, architectural perspective and smush it down like a pancake and they mm-hmm. spread it out. What was once vertical, what once drew your mind vertically into the heavens, uh, you know, bringing your eyes up and forward uh, into the sanctuary where the Holy of Holies is, where the sacraments are are offered, um, that has been reduced and and made very horizontal. Uh, it sort of smushes it and spreads it out horizontally. Well, so what is, and that brings a different sort of idea. Right. The idea to your of of a, of a modern architecture is. You you are never settled on one one point, and the positive aspect I think is what they were going for was is you're alive, so to speak. There's always something to keep looking at and turning your head, but you go into a church to pray and rest, mm-hmm. not to be constantly engaged or entertained. Right. One of the beauties of Gothic architecture is you know if you go to Notre Dame, if you go to Chartres Cathedral, and you look around, you have there's all sorts of things to look at. Oh yes. But everything is oriented in such a way to bring your attention back to the central mystery of the faith. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have beautiful stained glass with all manner of figures of saints and kings and and all these kinds of things going on, but they all point back to the divine. Um, you have the sweeping arches of the vault of the the apse or the nave, and it brings you your eyes 
draw central focus back to the nave, the the the, the sanctuary where the mass is offered. Um, every everything points to a central. Mystery. It leads it leads to contemplation as opposed to distraction and novelty. Right, right. So I mean, the critique of of modern style architecture in um, and, and granted. St. Charles and St. Jude are, are pretty laid back in comparison to some of the other designs. Oh, yes. Go look at some modern churches. There are things that are just absolutely bizarre. At least St. Charles and St. Jude's have symmetry. <laughs> like, you, know, like it's, you, could, you could put a line down the middle and it'd be pretty much the same, same on, both, on sides. both sides. So, But that would not be the case in some of the modern buildings you see coming out of... Accurate. Well, I mean, you can count all the ways, right? <laughs> Let me count the ways. Please don't. Yeah. Uh, so... So this is to say the form of the structure of our church building actually does mean something. Yeah. It's to say don't use your piano to crack walnuts, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Use it to play music. Right. Like, yeah. It's, that's all. it's not a social hall. It's right. not a gymnasium. You know, it's <laughs> it's a temple. It's a it's a place of worship. Right. Yeah. That's that's the main purpose for our being there. You let, it, you make God live in it. If you yourself wouldn't want to live in the church, don't make God live in the church if right. you yourself would build your house completely differently. Right. And and some would say, oh, well, as long as I get the Eucharist there, then, well, yes. then, that's, then that's fine. I'm like, well, to a degree, but the environment in which you receive the Eucharist and the, um, the style of the worship in which you, you know, go and receive the Lord and the Holy Eucharist should not be something you're willing just to get over, to get to the Eucharist. Well, exactly. It Again, should like, lead you to it. <laughs> the, the source and summit of your faith. Yeah. The, uh, like, if I have to say Mass in a prison camp, then I'll gladly receive the Eucharist in a hole, yeah. if, if that's what it takes. But, uh, things being equal, like, what do I do? What do I give of myself to honor God? Again, they took generations to build these cathedrals because it was that important to them. Mm-hmm. Not that I get something out of it for myself in a manner of speaking. But but the work itself was redemptive. But the work itself was sacramentalizing something yeah. of this earth mm-hmm. and and taking me away. The what you spend your time and your money on that which you value. And if you spend little on God, you will soon not value the Eucharist. Right. Not again, what does it cost you to receive the Eucharist in a whole, it might cost you your life. Mm-hmm. That's what it might cost right. you, because they put you in that hole because that's what you wanted. In the end, this is a matter of life and death. Yes. Like, you know, it, it might sound like two somewhat conservative-sounding priests complaining about what they're going to do to Notre Dame de Paris. I'm not doing anything to it. I'm just telling you my opinion. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying. This, this podcast, this episode of the podcast might sound like two relatively conservative priests complaining about what some slightly more liberal-leaning people are doing to the cathedral. To some Dame. extent, that's what it is. Right, but, <laughs> but, it's actually, but it's actually much more than that. Oh, yes, right? absolutely. It's about, it's about our life and culture. It mm-hmm. is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Like, right. what are you willing to die for? Right. You better know what that is, brothers and sisters. Yeah. And 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 then spend your time and your money on that. Right. Because that's what life is. W- one of the final lies, and I think this will be maybe our last point, but yeah. one of the final lies of the more modern movement is um is that we can make community for ourselves. Okay. So think about it this way: the very form of a lot of the architecture of a lot of churches, these churches in the round, um, that are very that are very sort of um, have a have a tendency to be more of an 
egocentric kind of flair to them. Go on. There's more to that. Maybe that'd be a long argument for another time. But <laughs> fine. But fair. like that there's so much of of modern faith and culture that people are only involved in their church not this is not everybody but some some people are only involved in their church because it's a means for them to socialize mm. to to have community with each other just for the sake of community now oh, the virus really helped put paid to that didn't it well that's that's interesting <laughs> an interesting topic for another time yeah. but but you know leaning back on um your image of the people of the town putting their resources together to build their parish church mm-hmm. like that is self-sacrificing mm-hmm. and and that brings about a true commitment to one another that is based completely in their life of faith it's a self-sacrificing uh, a role that makes you family you know that that makes you um, more deeply ingrained in each other's lives for the sake of each other's salvation. Your desire to grow together in a life of faith, not simply to grow together. <laughs> right. You know, for the sake of each, just for the sake of what, um, like social fellowship. social accept acceptability. Like, and again, any you know. fellowship. And when I do what my conscience dictates, and you go to heaven, but I went against my conscience and I go to hell, will you come with me for fellowship's sake? Jeez, <laughs> oh, yikes! I mean, it's that's man for all seasons. It's kind of what it feels like. I know, right? I know. So, and this, you know, I can understand how there may be some. Um, some might say, well, you, "Father, you're kind of biased on this." Yeah, yeah, but uh, but, but I think. I think it's well founded, and um, and some of this is frustration because I'm looking at a world that doesn't want to hear it, and I'm trying to do everything I can to help them hear it. <laughs> ah, well, sing carols, brother. Be joyful. Like yeah, that's that's true. the other side of it. Like, it's true. Like we rejoice. We rejoice in the risen Christ. We rejoice in the fact that God loves us so much that He became one of us, and and we live lives please God of charity and repentance because of it. And if you find that offensive. God help you. The uh, the but <laughs> yeah. I but I but I'm at your service, and so is Father Dan. If if we can help you, we will. Because guess what? That's the point. That's mm-hmm. what I find valuable. So I spend my time and my money on it. And and I and here we are at your service. Yeah, this is the Davis Wall Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and email us at dayusefulpodcast at gmail.com. Listen to us anywhere you can find your podcasts and spread the word of the show, please, with your friends. Uh, Anything we can do to help spread uh, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our Lord, uh, we are happy to do that. So, God bless you, and as always, Deus Volt! Deus Volt!